You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Today's show is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, including our Commodore class. That's Commodore's Obvious, Blood Groove, Torso and Pinches, Ironside, M.D., Jacob, Griffin, Scuttlebutt, Matt, Roger the Jolly, Hartman, Gingrich, Lisa, Clan Roland, Big Beard, Willie P., Schmarls, Madame Anita, Buggy the Clown, Leslie the Spice Chonger, The Admiral Binbow, Misfit, Chairboat, Cannon Monkey, Axios, Gunsway Sally, Pitlock, James, Four-Eyed Sloth, Artemis Killmeister, The Sextant, Jack of the South Seas, Lost Again, The Navigator, Governor Roop, Gin-Soaked Jim, Workman, Rum Runner, Skipper, Sawbones, Scarlet Dawn, Hefe, Bull, Vertigon, Rumgut, and Bootstraps Bailey. And of course, also our quartermasters, Heather, Robbie, Howard, Brandon, and Felony Melanie. And I'd like to welcome our newest patrons, Kevin, Tyler, Dan, Grook, James, Eric, Chris, and Kurt. And our newest Commodores, Ash, Brian, Brock, Jonathan, Lancelot, and Randy Savage. Hello. Welcome to the Pirate History Podcast. My name is Matt. Thank you for listening. When we left off last time, Captain William Kidd had just murdered the gunner on board the Adventure Galley, a Mr. William Moore. It made the Adventure Galley an even more divided vessel. About two dozen men on board were outright pirates, the kind of men that were welcomed in places like St. Mary's or Nassau or New York, but certainly not in places like Boston or London. Beyond those out-and-out pirates, though, the rest of the crew was divided between men who still supported Captain Kidd and those who were ready to overthrow him. And there were far more ready to overthrow him. The problem, though, probably the only reason that Kidd was still the captain of his ship, is that those dissidents were also themselves divided. Some wanted to side with those pirates to go on the account. Others wanted to turn Captain Kidd into the authorities and try to get on the right side of the law. Their aims were so disparate that they could never get together to outvote or overthrow their captain. These were all big problems for Captain Kidd, but he had a much, much larger problem hanging over everything. That's their lack of supplies. They were out of alcohol completely. No beer, no wine, no rum. 
But they were all so low on food, and their water reserves were in pretty serious trouble too, and they'd recently lost their cooper, remember. On top of all that, though, they were basically out of money. You'll recall that, back at Johanna, just off the coast of Madagascar, Captain Kidd picked up a few French pirates, men who had probably sailed with Henry Every, and two of those pirates had loaned him a fairly significant sum of money. He'd used that to buy supplies, and those pirates expected to be paid back and to earn more money on top on the account, but they had yet to earn any money at all. No money to pay back the French, no money to buy food or alcohol, nowhere to collect wood or water. The adventure galley was in trouble. What Captain Kidd needed was one thing, one singular thing. That one thing was the only thing that could alleviate all of his woes. This is episode 264, A Good Prize. First things first, Captain Kidd decided to try his luck one last time with an East India Company port. But if he was trusting in his luck, he shouldn't have been trusting in his luck. You may remember a Captain John Clark. John Clark was one of the East India Company captains that met Captain Kidd before he rounded the Cape of Good Hope. He was sailing with a Royal Navy escort who invited Captain Kidd aboard. Remember that interaction when Captain Kidd got stinking drunk and demanded a sail from the assembled captains? Those men refused, but then Captain Kidd threatened to capture any ship, even an English one, to get his sail, which he felt he was owed. That story to me seems a bit suspect, but Captain Clark spread it all around the Indian Ocean, spreading this fear of the pirate Captain Kidd. Well, Captain Clark was at Telecherry, the port that Captain Kidd intended to visit on the southern southwestern coast of India. Clark had arrived on board his ship, the East India Merchant, a couple of weeks earlier, and he'd already warned all of the officers about this nefarious pirate, Captain Kidd. And that would be plenty to make Telecherry an unhospitable location, but that's not all. Do you remember a Captain Barlow of the Scepter? He and Captain Kidd had had a bit of a skirmish a few months back. Well, Two days before Adventure Galley arrived at Telecherry, the scepter carrying Captain Barlow sailed into port there. I'm not sure that there could be a worse place for Captain Kidd to put in at the moment. Maybe Bombay, but that's a maybe. There were not one but two armed frigates awaiting him at Telecherry, both of whom had met Kidd, didn't like him, and believed him to be a pirate. Even though he wasn't a pirate, well, not yet. The episode is just getting started, after all. Adventure Galley arrived at Telecherry at 7 in the morning on 3rd November 1697. But Captain Kidd stayed in the road, the shipping lane, out of range of the fortress guns in the harbor. And he was doing it right. Once again, he was flying his English colors high and intending to send someone ashore to announce himself and ask proper permission. Now, while they were out of range of the guns in the fort, 
If Captain Clark's East India merchant had been so inclined, they could have opened fire on Captain Kidd then and there. But unknown to basically everybody at this early hour, Captain Clark had died in his sleep the night before. And it seems like here, right as Captain Kidd arrived, they were just discovering this fact. Like right now, you know, somebody informed the captain, there's a pirate over there, and oh no, the captain's dead, what do we do? And they might have opened fire anyway, but the adventure galley was just sort of standing there, menacingly. Atop the walls of the factory, a man named Thomas Penning, who you may remember from Kid's stop at Calicut, well, he was bellowing orders to all of his men. He was furious that the East India merchant was just sitting there, not firing on Captain Kid. So he ordered his own men to open fire on the Adventure Galley, and they did. But Adventure Galley was out of range. Now, the scepter was in the harbor as well, but not yet in a position to fire on Captain Kidd. But Barlow knew what the situation was and was moving his ship into such a position. Soon enough, Captain Kidd would have two frigates and a fort all firing on him. So he gave the order. His men got Adventure Galley moving, and they continued on to the south. One last note, though, here at Telecherry. As they were departing, Captain Kidd raised a French flag. Nobody's really sure why. It's not like he was trying to trick anyone. They knew who he was. Richard Zacks suggests that it may have been what he calls a jeu d'esprit. That's kind of a... A sardonic joke, you know, thumbing his nose at the East India Company, or maybe flipping him off. This was yet another pretty major setback for Captain Kidd. And for the next two weeks, the adventure galley cruised the southwestern shores of India and found nothing. No pirates, no sails at all, no food, no water, just empty ocean. Their supplies were dwindling down to almost nothing. Raiding coastal villages was not part of Captain Kidd's writ from the king, but it was looking like a likely possibility. The adventure galley, though, passed by a landmark known as Sacrifice Rock. That's an outcrop overlooking the ocean where local Indian pirates once sacrificed a whole crew of Portuguese sailors. Adventure galley passed by on the 18th of November. But as the sun was beginning to set, a call rang out from the rigging. Sail! Somebody had spotted a ship. So Captain Kidd raised the French flag once again. And I note here that the French naval flag was a pure white flag in this era. I'm going to avoid the obvious jokes here, but the Bourbons had this whole thing about the color white and its representation of purity and godliness, and since King Louis was the most Christian king, a white flag was kind of their thing. But that was what Captain Kidd raised when he began the pursuit of this set of sails. The chase lasted throughout the night, but come morning Captain Kidd was nearly on her, and that other ship raised her own colors. French colors at long last. This was the first ship that Adventure Galley had encountered that wasn't flying the colors of England or one of her allies. Still, though, Captain Kidd played it slow. 
He closed the last of the gap between the two vessels and had one of his men hail the probably French ship. He chose one of those French pirates that they'd picked up a few months back, a man known only as Loire. It looks like Leroy, but it's Loire in French. Probably not his real name, since Loire just means the king. Quite a nickname, though. Loire hailed the other ship, who then hailed back in French and lowered a boat into the water. She sent a man over, which Loire met at the rail, speaking a friendly French and passing this ship off as indeed a French vessel. The emissary spoke French as well, although he wasn't himself French. But the two men went down to Captain Loire's cabin to share news and have a drink, as captains often did. I wonder, though, if Captain Kidd gave Loire a change of clothes for this deception, you know, Find shoes, slacks, a nice coat, that kind of thing. But it appears that this newcomer, Captain Mitch Decker, a Dutchman, but who spoke French, it appears that he fell for it. He believed that this was indeed a French vessel. When Captain Decker was asked to show his papers to, you know, prove where he was from, he did produce a French passport, evidence that this was a French voyage. Now, at this moment, accounts begin to differ about what happened next. I like Captain Decker's version, though. He says that as Captain Loire was overlooking his French passport, likely at some sign, Captain Kidd emerged from the shadows and exclaimed, By God, I have you! You are a free prize to England. In Captain Kidd's version of events, none of this subterfuge ever took place. He says that he himself met Decker as the captain who did indeed possess a French passport. And I should clarify what I mean by a passport here. Literally a passport, a document allowing you to travel from port to port. In this case, it was a letter from the Captain General of the Compagnie des Français des Indes Orientales the French East India Company. His name was Capitaine General Jean-Baptiste Martin, and by order of the king, according to this letter, he gave permission to this ship to sail to any French port and to receive aid from any French citizen or their allies. It was signed and sealed by Capitaine General Martin, but it was not dated. And while the passport did name the owner of the ship a French name, it did not name the captain. Now, in Captain Kidd's version of events, he tells us that the captain kind of suggested to him that his ship had been commandeered by the Moors, and that this wasn't really what the voyage was all about, but he couldn't come right out and say it, you know. And personally, I think Kidd is lying about all of that, but it's clear that something is not as it seems on this ship. Captain Kidd was trying to work his way through that trying to figure out what to do next, but Captain Kidd was not in charge of this situation. His men were. As soon as it became clear they had finally captured a French ship, you know, they're flying a French flag, some Frenchmen came aboard. Well, two dozen men, those two dozen pirates we mentioned earlier, they hopped in a boat and made their way over to this new ship. The Ruparel, it was called. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. 
<laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Some of us love history. Others used to or never did because history was presented as nothing but the rote memorization of names, dates, and facts. Basically, the story got left out, and that made history kind of suck. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a university professor with a PhD in history, and bringing history to life is my passion. That's why I created my podcast, History That Doesn't Suck. I want to teach you everything you need to know about U.S. history, but I do so through stories. Let me tell you about George Washington begging his men not to mutiny against Congress. Clara Barton saving Union soldiers amid enemy fire. Enslaved Frederick Douglass risking his life for liberty. And about so many other figures as their real experiences make industrialization, social movements, and even congressional debates and tax policy come to life. Subscribe to History That Doesn't Suck today. And join me, Professor Greg Jackson, every other week for a new episode, where I'd like to tell you a story. They climbed aboard and took the ship without violence. Nobody put up any fight. And then they began to search the holds. Now, there wasn't much down there. The main cargo that this ship appeared to be carrying was a Dutch governor and his family. They were moving from one Dutch port to another. And, of course, they had all of their belongings with them, clothes and toiletries, ladies' undergarments, but nothing of any real value. The governor didn't have any chests full of treasure, no booty or plunder. That's the kind of thing that doesn't really happen. The best that the men of the Adventure Galley came away with were two chests of opium. Now, opium was a valuable medicine and used as a recreational drug at the time, but since it was more or less legal and pretty plentiful, it wasn't exactly a highly valued contraband that was going to make everyone rich. When Captain Kidd sold these two chests of opium off, he earned only 150 pounds sterling. According to the Bank of England inflation calculator, that's about $20,000 in 2021. Not bad, but not nearly enough. Captain Kidd sold that cargo at a place called Caliquion. You'll occasionally see that name translated as Smuggler's Den, but today it's the town of Kayamkulam. And that name might still originate from Smuggler's Den, I can't find an etymology on it, but in 1697 it was basically just a smuggling den. It was a port with no European overlords, no Mughal overlords, and basically just a home to a bunch of Indian pirates. And you know, it's kind of unfair to call them pirates. These pirates were usually the precursor to the imperial navy of a kingdom known as Maratha. That's an Indian kingdom opposed to all colonial rule, including Europeans and Mughal. That's a big story that expands way beyond the parameters of this show. But these early Indian pirates looked a lot like Grace O'Malley's pirates in Ireland, or you know, the Dutch sea beggars, they were freedom fighters, really. But that doesn't mean they weren't happy to buy a bunch of opium from these English pirates and sell it at a profit. Captain Kidd, with his 150 pounds sterling, turned right around and bought a bunch of wine and fruit and rice, basically all the stuff that they were running out of and desperately needed. Now, these fresh supplies put Captain Kidd in a much stronger position. 
the men were no longer in danger of starving to death, so they were less likely to kill him and throw him overboard. But he used this situation to further his own strong position. He put that Dutch governor ashore with all of his belongings mostly untouched and his family unharmed. As for the rest of the crew of the Ruparel, some of them went ashore with the governor, but many of them signed up to sail with Captain Kidd. Captain Mitch Decker signed on as Adventure Galley's new sailing master. They all called him Skipper Mitch, and everybody seems to have liked Skipper Mitch, at least at first. The other Dutchmen on board went with Skipper Mitch, and even a few of the Moors on board, who were probably actually Indian, but they say Moors for anybody with brown skin. It's hard to tell who they're actually talking about. And then Captain Kidd claimed the Ruparel for his own. Now here's the question. Was this seizure of the Ruparel an act of piracy? Was Captain Kidd now actually a notorious pirate captain? But that's... that's the big question. So it was a ship with a Dutch captain and Dutch officers and carrying a Dutch governor as its primary cargo. But it was not a Dutch ship. It was a Mughal ship owned by a Muslim Mughal merchant and it had a French passport on a mission to sell French opium in French ports. Now, there is a chance that Skipper Mitch actually had a host of different passports. Remember how it was signed, but not dated? That was the kind of thing that you could usually purchase for the right price from the right person. But he showed his French passport to a Frenchman who he believed to be the captain of a French ship. Smart move, but when he discovered the truth... It appears that he did not produce one of his other national passports. Which is a bit curious, right? Unless, of course, this Dutchman, Skipper Mitch as he would be known, maybe he hated his job. You know, a captain for hire wasn't always the most fun or the most profitable. Maybe he saw a better opportunity in sailing with Captain Kidd. And I will say this... He stayed with Captain Kidd, and in the years to come, neither he nor any of the other Dutchmen that came with him would testify against or sue Captain Kidd. Now, legally speaking, it could be argued that this was a legitimate seizure of French cargo. Nobody's going to give him much trouble about that, but what about the ship? The ship, the Ruparel, though it had a French name, belonged to a Muslim Mughal merchant. And that's a gray area, a big, vast gray area. But since this merchant was doing business with the French, Captain Kidd considered his ship forfeit. He claimed the Ruparel as his own and sent some of his crew over to command her. Coincidentally, the crew that he chose to send over to the Ruparel, well, they just so happened to be those that were temperamentally inclined to piracy. Those two dozen or so outright pirates and those who were inclined to side with them. This move rid him of the most seditious lot among his crew, and it gave them the opportunity to, if they so chose, go off on their own, do their own pirate thing, while Captain Kidd keeps his hands clean. Captain Kidd suggested renaming his new ship the Maiden, since it was their first real prize on this voyage, but while that name did have some support, instead they voted to call her November in honor of the month in which she had been captured. 
So these two ships set out once again to cruise the Indian Ocean. They roved around, but didn't have much luck. However, they still had fresh food at first, and then plenty of wine and rice, so everyone was happy enough to just kind of hang out. It was a little over two months later before Captain Kidd spotted another set of tempting sails on the horizon. It was the 30th of January, 1698, when a lookout spotted sails some 25 leagues off the coasts of Cochin. As it happened, at this point, Adventure Galley was all alone. The November was somewhere else doing her own thing, but not too far away. Not a big problem, but it does mean that there were fewer pirate-inclined men on board. Still, Captain Kidd pulled out his spyglass and noted that she was a large vessel, 400 tons at least, but not a warship. She was a fat, slow merchant vessel. Captain Kidd ordered his men to raise the colors. Again, they showed the French, and Adventure Galley again began to close the gap. And they caught up in no time. She was not a fast vessel. So instead of a chase, this other ship just furled her sails and kind of waited for Captain Kidd. Now this ship flew an unexpected standard. The Armenian flag, and I'm not exactly sure what this means when writers say it was an Armenian flag. See, there wasn't an Armenian state in 1698. There were Armenian people, of course, and a region known as Armenia, but no nation. The Armenian people were largely split between two rival empires. In the west, the Ottoman Empire. In the east, the Safavid Iranians. And then there was this rebellion going on that kept a kind of a dream of the Armenian nation alive, but... They weren't sending out ships at the time. Whoever it happened to be, though, Captain Kidd considered this Armenian vessel fair game. Kidd pulled up alongside the stranger and hailed her, ordering her commander to come aboard. Now, an old Frenchman climbed over the rail, not the captain of this Armenian vessel, her gunner instead. Mr. Loire served as interpreter once again and read over the passport that this messenger carried. It was indeed a legitimate passport from that same Jean-Baptiste Martin, which carried the seal of the East India Company. It was a ship on a French mission, according to this old Frenchman. Captain Kidd spotted that French seal and that French name and ordered his men to raise another flag. Now this is the moment where pirate pirates would usually raise the black to announce their intentions to take all the cargo and the other ship would surrender. But Captain Kidd still did not see himself as a pirate, and sort of wasn't, sort of was, but he raised the king's jack. It announced his true allegiance and told everybody on board that Armenian vessel that, well, they were about to take their ship. Now that old French gunner looked up at that newly raised flag and kind of smirked a bit when he turned to Captain Kidd, nodded his head and said in English, here is a good prize. The French gunner was friendly about their encounter. The captain of that ship was an Englishman named John Wright and he was going to be equally easy going. All of the cargo on board belonged to the 30 Armenian merchants also on board, really to their trading firm back home. But Captain Wright was English, 
the gunner was French, and there were a few Dutchmen to round out the crew, and everyone else, well, they were Indian. None of them cared about this Armenian plunder. It was neither here nor there, so nobody was willing to fight. When Captain Kidd led his party of men over to the new ship, it was all smiles and handshakes. He was greeted by the captain. And it was all, you know, hi, hello, I'm Captain Kidd, I'm here to take all your stuff, and the other guy was, hi, hello, I'm Captain Wright. Welcome aboard the Quida. The Quida Merchant is one of those ships in the history of piracy that... Well, look, it's not as big as the Gunsway, you know, the Gunjisawai. It's not as big as the Widda by a long shot. But it belongs in the same conversation. The Quida was a rich, rich prize that Captain Kidd captured here. The manifest for the Quida recorded 120 bales of muslin and calico. There were also 1,400 bags of brown sugar, 84 bales of raw silk, 80 chests of opium, and a host of other minor, somewhat valuable cargo. Now, you know, let's just at first take a look at the opium here. If we assume a rate of sale equal to what they earned from those other two chests of opium, that equals about 6,000 pounds sterling in 1698. Today, about 722,000 pounds. And, you know, there are a lot of variables I'm not taking into account, but that's a rough estimate. Now, if we were to divide that amount between all the men on board the Adventure Galley, that only comes to about 4,000 pounds a man. And that's... Not enough, but again, that's just the opium. Muslin and calico cotton fabrics were quite valuable. Silk, obviously, very, you know, everything on board was worth good money. And I wish that I had, you know, a more swashbuckling tale to tell you here, that the men swung from ropes and had duels and fired their guns, but that's not what happened on the Quida merchant. The crew just surrendered. And, you know, those 30 Armenian merchants, they kicked up quite a fuss. How are you just surrendering? But what are these 30 men with soft, uncalloused hands and no guns going to do against the 100 well-armed killers that climb on board? So there's just not that much story to tell about the Quida. It's famous, and for good reason. But that's basically the story. I suppose I could talk about the name a bit. Quida. It's kind of an odd name. It's Armenian of course, but it's actually an Armenianized version of a different name from modern-day Malaya. The state of Kedah, or Kedah, lies very near the tip of Java, on mainland Malaya, and in 1698 it was still part of the kingdom of Siam, with close ties to Aceh, but that's where they got all of these goods, apparently. So, you know, what else, what else, what else? Well, okay, so most... Muslim historians, then and now, estimate the complete value of the Quida merchant at about 400,000 rupees. That's about, at the time, 50,000 pounds sterling. In modern amounts, that would be about 6 million pounds, or 7 million euro, or 7.3 million American dollars. So let's see, remember how the men, the investors back in London, they all expected 20,000 pounds sterling. That was their return on their investment. Well, if we were to subtract that 20,000 pounds and then distribute the plunder equally among 150 crewmen, which isn't exact at this point, but it's close enough, 
Well, that would equal, in modern British pounds, about 30,000 pounds sterling each. So they weren't, you know, getting rich off of this prize, but that was a good single day's work, I'd say, especially when nobody died for that money. What's more, it was enough to pay off the investors, check one, ensure that they had good supplies moving forward, check two, and allow them to continue on their voyage in relative comfort. Big check three. So, you know, good job. Captain Kidd was in a much more secure position than he had been, thanks to his capture of the Quida merchant. Next time, we're going to talk about the... Oh, wait a second, I forgot to mention one last thing. Remember when I told you that pirates never found chests full of booty and treasure? Oh, that was a clever lie, you idiot! I'll read here from the pirate hunter. Richard Zacks writes, quote, In the captain's cabin of the Quida, Kid found a sturdy wooden chest, strapped with iron, double padlocked. Before opening it, he cleared the room, so all alone he used a chisel and hammer to break the locks. Kid lifted the lid. Inside were little pouches. He picked several up and poured out the contents. Rubies, emeralds, diamonds, and gold nuggets. Kid raised up a silver jewel box and opened the top. Inside were four diamonds set in gold lockets and one very large diamond set in a gold ring. By the oil light he burrowed in the chest, a bag of silver rings and precious stones, a bag of unpolished gems, two pieces of crystal, two carnelian rings, two small agates, two amethysts, as well as a sack of silver buttons and a silver lamp that weighed almost two pounds. Kid scattered the dazzling pile of jewels on the table and sifted through them. He then gathered up all the items and locked them back into the chest. End quote. The value of this one single chest was worth more than the entirety of the value of the rest of the Quita merchants. And Captain Kidd apparently never told a soul. Next time, we'll discuss the aftermath of the Quida Merchant Raid. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank everyone who has helped to support the show. All of our patrons on Patreon, everybody who has recommended this show, and everybody who has left us ratings or reviews. You all make it possible. Thank you. The Pirate History Podcast is a member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out some of their other fine shows like Infamous America, you can do so at airwavemedia.com. Our theme music was, as always, The Old Captain by the fantastic band Brillig. You can find them at brillig.com.au. That's B-R-I-L-L-I-G.com.au. After you're done over there, why not check out our website at piratehistorypodcast.com. As always, and most importantly, thank you for listening.
born, the old captain has died. Let him live on in legend tonight.